Good evening. You up all night tossing, turning, mind racing. Stuff on your mind, can't get to sleep. Well, welcome. You're in the right place. Sleep With Me is proud to present Game of Drones, the Game of Thrones podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it with an episode discussion. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. Podcast is going to create a safe place where you can put aside all the stuff your brain's telling you, blah, 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 oh dear, oh no, oh, what about this, what about that, hey, what, I hate that guy, blah, blah, all that static noise running through your skull, we're going to distract you from that, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones, season one, episode two, The King Road, that's the name of the episode, we're going to talk about some interesting stuff, but as we go on, I'm going to delve into some stuff in a little bit more detail. Stuff that interests me and might not interest you. And I have a way of presenting things that can be soothing. Some people say dull. Other people say comforting. Whatever you taste, I'm going to carry you off into dreamland. At least that's my goal. With a little bit of droning on and on. Now, if this is your first time here, this might sound strange. And you probably have two thoughts. One, I don't watch Game of Thrones. This is going to work for me. Well, test it and find out. If you don't watch Game of Thrones... One, I suggest you start watching it. But two, you know, test this out. I'm going to talk about stuff and and I'm just trying to, you know, talk and chat and make waste time like I am right now so that you're not listening to that chatterbox in your head and you're carried off into dreamland. So it might work for you. If it doesn't, we have episodes, new episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays that have nothing to do with Game of Thrones. They're uh, independent, made-up story types things. Second question you might be asking yourself, I watch Game of Thrones, but I don't understand what the hell you're talking about. Wait a second, this is a podcast to bore me to sleep? What do you want? Why are you doing this and what's wrong with you? Well, I think the answers to those questions, if they're not rhetorical, will be uncovered if you start listening to the podcast and you enjoy it and it works for you. Yeah, but yeah, this is a podcast to put you to sleep. All you need to do is listen, give it a try. It's not for everybody. But I hope it's right for you if you have trouble falling asleep. That's what we're here for. We're on the web over at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. Game of Drones episodes are at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. We also have a little uh, episode out every week for a little while called Napcast. Those are like five to ten minute Game of Drones prayers to the old gods and the new. They might bore you to sleep. They might be just long enough to take a nap too. They might, you know, you might be able to fall asleep if you're some sort of super sleeper. Or you might just find them, someone said they found it funny. It's a little um, dose of lunacy and a smaller dose. Uh, you can get a hold of me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com, on Twitter at Dearest Scooter, on Facebook, or comment on the website if you have anything at all to say. Anything to share, heartfelt stories, anger, um something's not working for you, you have a question, you know, I'll do my best to answer it. I'll do my best to check in with you and see what's up. Hey, uh, what else? I think that's about it. Uh, Like I said, if it's the first time here, welcome. Game of Drones episodes are on Sundays, uh, I think. Uh, Napcast is on Monday. And we have episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. 
So that's it. Let's get on to the housekeeping. Heard from some wonderful people in the last couple of days. I want to say hi to Laura, Andy, Sherry, Emily, Ian, another Ian, I think, Eden, Kelly Joe. I also want to thank uh, Stephanie for letting me know that Tim Curry, unfortunately, had a stroke a couple of years ago. And, you know, Tim, our, all of our listeners, I'm sure, are big fans of yours. I know you're not listening to this, but, you know, we're, we're going to send you some positive energy right now. Hopefully you're on the mend, but know that we cherish you. We love you. And I don't, I don't know what else to say to imagining that I'm talking to Tim Curry. But uh, thank you, Tim. And sorry, sorry, I, you know, I never tried to make fun of Tim Curry or, or anything. I just was ignorant as usual. So I apologize for not knowing about that. Yeah, we have one uh, iTunes review to thank Con Gussin. Con Gussin. Con Gussin from the USA. Thank you for your iTunes review. If you guys have a chance and you can, if you're hearing me, and you can review and rate us on iTunes, it would be great. I'd like to get us uh, up over a hundred. Get us up over a hundred reviews. The reviews really help us uh, increase our visibility in like searches or recommendations or stuff like that. And so I really need you guys' help. If you, I really appreciate it. Those of you that have given me reviews, thank you. And those of you who haven't, if you have a chance, go ahead and do it. Uh, that's about it. Let's get on to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. So that's it. I'm glad you guys are all here listening to me. I hope I help you fall asleep. Thank you so much for your support, for listening to this podcast, for emailing me, for smiling when I say something that makes you smile. Uh, those are the things that are, are important to me, I guess. And for those of you that send me these heartfelt stories about your struggles with sleep, no, just remember, you're not alone. There's a lot of other people listening. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have the reason I have a boring podcast is I, I'm not good at getting straight to illuminating points or metaphors or, uh, tying stuff together. So one other thing I wanted to say, oh, of course, um, lady Shannon bowing down. I'm curtsying to the lady Shannon in all your beauty and wisdom. Lady Shannon, I salute you. Lord Jonathan. Well, Jonathan, I'm bowing down, and in all your uh, strength and protectiveness and and uh, empower, empower through strength and weakness, I salute you, Lord and Lady of the podcast. Oh, one more thing after the Lord and Lady podcast, I can't forget our buddy Christopher over at SoundsLikeAnEarful.com, who does our podcast, new podcast theme. Make sure to check out Chris's podcast and say hi to him if you can. Over at soundslikeanearful.com. Thank you so much, Chris. All right, so we're talking about season one, episode two, The King's Road. Game of Thrones is the TV show. Game of Drones is the podcast. And so we're break down, the, run through the episode, and then we'll uh, I'll run an outline what we're going to talk about, and then we'll talk about it, shall we? So this was a. Uh, Season season one, episode two. So this episode starts out with like a long line of horses and people. The uh, horse lords. I think it's the horse lords. It's Dothraki. And then Sir Jorah's talking to Khaleesi about drinking water. And he has a nice little thing. There's two things here in abundance, grass and horses, right? She's about to eat some horse jerky. 
also noticed something I didn't have a chance to look up is Sir Jorah has some peacocks, peacock feathers on a scabbard. I don't know if that means anything symbolically about Sir Jorah or if that's like one of his things. I don't know. Oh, and then the dragon, her brother, talks to him. And Sir Jorah kind of reiterates, you know, his disappointment at Ned Stark sending him away for selling the poachers that were on his land. Then we get a shot of Tywin. Then we get a shot of Tyrion sleeping with the dogs and Joff being mean and talking about um, using the B word about dogs and women and having a laugh with the hound. And then he gets slapped across his little bratty little face a couple times. The hound says something important. He says, the prince will remember that. And I think Tyrion says something like, I hope he does. Uh, Then there's a nice little family breakfast scene. Tyrion, Cersei, Jaime, and the kids. Not, uh, luckily, not Joff, because breakfast with Joff would be a nightmare. But you have Tom and and Marcella. Marcella? And I think uh, Tyrion says this, this is his line. Life is full of possibilities. And we have Caitlin sitting with Bran, and Cersei shows up, talks about her, her dead, stillborn son, and calls it a bird without feathers. She's big on those birds. Now, is she lying here, or is this a true story? Cersei's so hard to read. And then she says she's going to pray to the mother, which strikes me that uh, Caitlin and Cersei practice the same religion. Pretty cool, the new gods. And the whole time, Caitlin's working on something. And I couldn't tell if it at first was like it looked like a little doll. Later in the episode, it looks like a dream catcher. Then we have Jon Snow and Jamie Lannister have a little run-in talking about sacks of meat. Jamie gives him one of those uh, D-bag handshakes where he tries to be like, I've got the tougher handshake, bro. Yeah, look, I'm even taller than you and I can move in close. And uh, talking trash about Night's Watch. Really don't like Jamie Lannister in these these scenes. I really want to kick his ass, to be honest with you. Oh, man. Between the last episode and this one. I mean, what a jackass. Like, who the hell do you think you are? I mean, yeah, you might be better looking than everybody. But, and you think you're hot crap. Um, now, yeah, I mean... I got bigger things to deal with than Jamie Lannister and my Roose Bolton fantasy fiction time machine, like Cat Stevens, the Hound's father, and people that have nothing to do with the plot so it doesn't upset the plot, but of, you know, the books and stuff, because I don't want to get George R.R. R. Martin mad at me, Aristotle, but Aristotle's after me. Fake Hound, the guy's pretending to be the Hound. But so, but if I didn't have time, Lannister, believe me, I'd teach you some manners. About, I mean, would you go to like frickin' uh, cheap ass salesman convention or not shake hands? Anyway, I don't know. That's a tangent. Get a little Arya training her dog to fetch the gloves. And then I notice uh, Jon Snow gives her that sword needle. And is she left handed? I'm gonna have to look that up. But it looked like she was holding the sword in her left hand. A little factoid about your uh, podcast podcasters left handed. I don't know if you're left-handed out there. You know what it's like with the scissors, so I don't got to say anything else. 
and the, you know, writing with a freaking trick and lead pencil around when you're trying to, you know, fill in bubbles and stuff. It's a, lot, it's a little rough life. No wonder. I bet you left-handers, this is just, I'm throwing it out there for research. Left-handers, I bet you have more, more likely have insomnia. You know, just, just, just a guy. Caitlin, next up, she's got her little doll that she's wrapping up. She's really mean to Jon Snow. In this episode, Caitlin seems troubled by Ned's infidelity. And it was a different time. So, I, I, I have not quite been able to unpack. I mean, I understand her pain of, of having to look at this, this, uh, creation. I mean, I guess it is kind of insulting. Like, you cheat on her. And then you bring the kid to live with you. But at the same time, he's getting old, Caitlin. I mean, come on. At some point, you know, you got to, I guess, you know, Ned's so stoic. It's kind of tough to take stuff out on him because he just can take everything. And he just takes it. And we have uh, Ned and uh, Caitlin. And she's guilting, she's guilting the hell out of Ned. She's really giving him the business. And she sa- he says, I doesn't have a choice. She says, you do have a choice and you made it. So she really, wow, she's, she's she's a tough, 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 tough lady. Then John and Rob have a very uh, uh, formal goodbye to each other. Well, they, I think they hug. Then John and Ned, Ned says, you're stark. And he asks about his mom. He says, ah, oh, don't worry, we'll talk about it the next time I see you. Uh, now that you're going to swear yourself to, you know, secrecy. Then we get some camping king style. With uh, our king and Ned just sitting around living a glamorous life. He's got a good line there, uh, King Robert. Thank the gods for Bessie. And then he brings up uh, John's mom. Nice name, Wyla. Wyla. Beautiful name. Your bastard's mother. Then Robert and Ned talk about Dan and Daenerys. Shoot back to the... uh, Dothraki camp for a little Colin, Colin Danny. Then we got Jon Snow, Tyrion, and the Rapers talking about your choice of castration or the wall. Tyrion reading and talking to uh, Jon about his new family on the Night's Watch. He says, why do you read? He says, things are expected of me. A mind needs books like a sword needs a whetstone. Beautiful, beautiful line. So it reminds me of you two something like something, something, something like a fish needs a bicycle. And he's talking about grumpkins and snarks and all the things your wet nurse warned you about. Bran and Kaser, Bran, Caitlin. Oh, Caitlin's kicking it. Uh, Master, Meister Lumen, whatever his name is, comes in talk, trying to talk business. Rob's like, whoa, whoa, slow your roll, buddy. I'm the master of the house. Fire, assassin, Rick and guilt, the whole nine yards. I like that. Assassin says it's a mercy. You're not supposed to be here. Then the wolf takes care of everything. Go back to Khaleesi. And they're talking about dragons and being from the moon or dragons not existing. I really like how this, the Khaleesi, they're like, it is known, Khaleesi. It is known. I want us to start working that into the podcast, all right? It is known. It is known. Uh, when I say a fact that I'm not sure about, I'll say it is known. It is known. 
And then, you know, Khaleesi wants to know how to make uh, Carl Drogo happy. And we go back to John and Tyrion. We get our first view of the wall. Beautiful, beautiful view. Then we get into little Caitlin doing a little DNA investigation. She pulls out a hair. She has a little Sherlock Holmes style meeting about the blade. And she says, I'm going on the road. I mean, I, I, uh, again, when, with her concern, is she going on the road? Really? Like, what's her mission? Because is she that worried about Ned cheating that she wants to be there keeping an eye on him? Is this like a manufacturer? I mean, this is a real crisis. I'm not saying that. But in her mind, is this a manufactured crisis or a real one? I think it's a real crisis. But, you know, I'm trying to stir up some something. And then she, I think she's finished with the dream catcher at this point. Uh, then Khaleesi and her um, assistant there talking more sex talk. She talks about, I didn't do any research on this, Aragina, like the most, she was kind of like a Helen or Troy, it sounded like. And they talk about, you know, looking in the eyes, and and that is like a romance and sex and seduction. A lot of it's the uh, eyes and looking deep into the eyes. You know, how you feel when you, even when it's sometimes we've talked about this a little bit, you know, you make eye contact with somebody across and you, you feel, whoa. you know, you start to float away, you get the butterflies, you get the, uh, you know, churning the loins, let me put it that way, as gently as I can. And it might even be just a pass and then you get that little grin on your face, like, like the, you can't see it, but you know what I'm saying. So, and that's just, that's just on the subway. So, you know, Khaleesi is going to, you know, do some I love and then, you know, more than that. I like this line. You'll make him like it. If you wanted the Dothraki way, why did he marry you? And we get the hit stop that goes wrong with uh, Joff trying to scare Sansa with Ellen Payne and the Hound. And then, he, you know, Joff trying to show off and be mean to the hound, make fun of Ellen Payne. Joff's drinking wine with Sansa, and then have trouble, trouble with the butcher's boy and Arya. Heartbreaking. And just makes us immediately dislike Joff. Pick up your sword, coward. I know, I guess, I mean, maybe I just said, oh, he goes from talking trash and picking up the sword to being a coward. You got a dog on the run. Uh, Sansa lying. And the king's just, this this scene towards the end with uh, the king and Cersei, this kind of little mini trial. Wow, with everyone there and everyone shaming with their eyes. And then Ned comes in and it's a deck is stacked, man. Lannister style is coming out. And Lannisters are starting to pay their debts or whatever. And Lannister always, because, man, this was uncomfortable. They really put the pressure on the king to make him look bad, to make Ned look like a jerk, make sure everybody loses, except for Cersei. Uh, I also like, I think Jory pushed Ilan Payne. I liked that move, uh, if, it, if it was, if it happened. And then we uh, have a wolf lose its wife, life. Then we have a wolf lose his life, and Bran wakes up at the same time. Well, a little symbolism there, or what? So that's uh, the episode in a nutshell. By nutshell, I mean like a 15-minute 
uh, meandering talk about it. So to, what are we going to talk about tonight? We're going to talk about water intake and dehydration. We're going to talk about training dogs to fetch slippers. We're going to touch on dream catchers, glamping. We're going to have a visit from Sir Pounce. And then we're going to talk about CSI and procedural franchises. And then we'll touch on comas. All right? So let's move on, shall we? Thanks for being here. Water. Jorah was talking to Khaleesi about drinking some more water and eating, I think, too. But it brings up the question of, like, how much water should we be drinking a day? And I'm not trying to be a cynic, but it seems like every guru is out there making their top ten lists of health hacks or uh, stuff like that, and water always comes into it. Is there a cons- I just want to know from someone trustworthy how much water I should be drinking and how to tell if I've had enough water. If Especially if I was the Khaleesi. I'm on a horse. I've been riding. You know, I'm sore from riding the horse. And then I got to sleep with Cal Drogo. And God, you know, it's, it's hard. So Khaleesi, or if I was a Khaleesi's trusted advisor, then... How would I know if she's dehydrated or not? How much water should she be drinking? All right, so let's, I'd say Mayo Clinic is a pretty trustworthy source. <laughs> Unless, you know, Mayo Clinic's a spree killer too, like our lord and lady. But let's uh, run down this uh, for the Mayo Clinic. How much water should you drink each day? How much water should you drink each day? Question mark. It's a simple question with no easy answers. Gurus. Studies have produced varying recommendations, but in truth, it depends on many factors, including your health and how active and where you live. Your body's principal chemical component is 60% of your body weight. Every system in the body depends on water, flushes out tight toxins, carries nutrients, and provides an immost environment for ear, nose, and throat tissues. Lack of water can reduce the dehydration. Even mild dehydration can drain your energy and make you tired, dear Khaleesi. It is known. <laughs> How much water do you need? Well, you use your, lose water through breath. Breath. <laughs> I did not say breast, Khaleesi. I said breath. Perspiration, urine, and bowel movements, dear Khaleesi. It is known. <laughs> I'm going to overuse this now. For your body to function properly, you must replenish its water supply. By consuming beverages and foods that contain water. Even horse does contain water, Khaleesi. So how much fluid on average does a healthy adult living in a temperate climate need? The Institute of Medicine is that men should have 3 liters and women should have 2.2 liters. Adequate intake. 2.2 liters is 9 cups. 3 liters is 13 cups. Now what about the advice from a lot of gurus to drink 8 Eight-ounce glass of water a day. That's only 1.9 liters, which isn't that different than medicines, Institute of Medicine's recommendation. Although the 8 by 8 rule isn't supported by hard evidence, it remains popular because it's easy to remember. Just keep in mind that the rule should be reframed as drink at least eight eight 8-ounce glasses of fluid a day because all fluids count towards your daily total. Factors that influence water would be exercise, you should have four to six hundred extra milliliters, one to five, one point five to two point five cups of water for short bouts of exercise, but intense, more fluid. So riding a horse is probably intense. 
environment, hot or humid weather can make you sweat. So drink even more water, Khaleesi. Illness or health conditions. Like your body's stressed out because it's been going through a lot of changes. You know, in your way you've been living your life. You're riding a horse now, you're having sex. So we probably need even more. Pregnancy or breastfeeding. You know, you're not pregnant. Beyond the tap, other sources. Food provides about 20% of water intake. Dried horse meat, probably not, though. Okay, so, generally, if you drink enough fluid, so you rarely feel thirsty and produce 1.5 liters or more of colorless or light yellow urine a day, your fluid intake is probably accurate, ad- adequate. So, I guess, and then uh, I'm going to shoot over this article over at HuffPost. How much water do you really need? What hydration looks like? And this may be how Sergiora can help Khaleesi know she's hydrated. It's true that thirst is a symptom of dehydration, so try to remember to sip fluids throughout the day, but don't overdo it. It is possible to drink too much water. One way to stay on top of your hydration is to keep an eye on the color of your urine, Khaleesi. It is known. It is known. Lawrence Armstrong, Ph.D. and exercise physiologist, and professor at the University of Connecticut's Human Performance Laboratory established a urine color chart to accurately depict levels of dehydration. While Armstrong does not allow online reproduction, as the colors may appear differently on different computer monitors, uh, the U.S. Navy and Marine Corps, New York Times, and Boy Scout have created their own digital versions of the color chart. So uh, maybe Sir George should just ask Khaleesi, like, Khaleesi, what color is your urine? Or uh, called Drogo. I would like to look at your uh, the Khaleesi's urine. May I? That should go over fine, right? Ah, Khaleesi. What color is your urine? Should I ask, ask a couple of Dothrakis to do? Just say it is known. It needs to be. I heard the color of watered-down lemonade or something. So just, you know, it is known. Right, let's keep moving. Arya, we had a scene with Arya trying to train her dire wolf to fetch mitten or what are those called gloves <laughs> mittens if you're in the north though you probably should have a nice pair of mittens and uh wow tangent alert coming in i'm a big proponent of mittens versus gloves for adults uh i haven't been involved in any winter sports in a few years but if if i do become or when i have been involved in you know, mountain-type, going-down-mountain situations on boards and stuff. I like mittens. They keep your hand, you know. Why, why would you separate? I don't know. When I was a kid, I'd go out there. My fingers would be cold. One day I got a pair of mittens. My life was changed. So pro-mitten. This situation involves gloves. And I was thinking of the 1950s and the classic idea of having your dog bring you your slippers. And then I was like, well, nowadays do people have slippers? I do I do not. I have uh, flip-flops. It's the closest thing to slippers I have. I'm not a big proponent of having things on my feet when I'm at home. I like, you know, free foot action. Not to paint too, uh, but I, I prefer, I just prefer to be in boxers. From the minute I get home, maybe shorts if I'm worried about a neighbor coming by. I don't know what it is about me. I got. I'm. A, I'm not a nudist. 
but I guess <laughs> a minimal clothing is to, uh, I have shoes, I didn't know. So how, if we were, if we did have slippers, how would we train our dog to get them for us is the question. Uh, I'm uh, trying to, tra- trying to, what do you call it, I didn't interlude into or whatever. So I found this nice little website called doggybuddy.com. So all this stuff's going to be from Doggy Buddy. It looks like 2007. Copyrights doggybuddy.com. And it's a great little site about training your dog. And trick 34 is teach your dog to bring you slippers. Now, yeah, difficulty, they say, is moderate. Prerequisite is learn names, take it, and bring it. So let's do the prerequisites. Learn names. That's tip trick 14. Teach your dog to learn names. Difficulty, moderate. Prerequisite, none. Can you hear my dog? <laughs> none trained. Items needed, clicker, and treats. Dogs are a lot smarter than we give them credit for, according to Doggy Buddy. They can learn the names of stuff. A border collar named Chaser holds a little record for the largest dog vocabulary with a thousand items. Let's get to it. Step one, have your dog touch your hand and click treat. Step two, hold the object in your hand and say touch. Click treat when he touches the object, not when he touches your hand. Call the object by its name, tug, squeaky, bunny, slippers, just as he touches it. Click and treat. Repeat five times. Hold the object, say its name, and click and treat when he touch he or she touches it. For teaching the names of people, Bob, Joe, Dad, Mom, etc., and places, bed, corner, kennel, use the training stick, which I don't know what that is, to introduce a person or place. So that's uh, the teaching the names. Teaching your dog to take it is uh, trick 11. Oh, boy, that's... Anyway, uh, difficulty's easy. Items needed, clickers, treats, and dog toy. Congratulations, your dog should be behaving well after you've gone through t- tricks 1 through 10. We're kind of bouncing around here. Sorry, doggy buddy. Let's work on training your dog to interact with the world around him. Here we go. Get, step 1, get one of your dog's favorite toys, set it on the ground, wait for him to pick it up in his mouth, click and treat. Repeat this several times. When he starts picking up the toy without hesitation, start using the command. Take it when you click and treat. After a few times of that, he will pick it up at your command. Step four, see how many objects he'll pick up. Point to the sock and say, take it. Take that stinky sock, buddy. Click and treat. Point to the remote and say, take it. All right, so let's take it. Name it we got. Let's check out bring it. Bring it. It's already been brought in. Now it's trick 13, easy. You need uh, clicker treats and toys. This is stable dog training. Step one, tell your dog to get a toy by using the take it command. Step two, encourage your dog to come towards you with the toy. Click and treat if he brings it towards you a few steps. Do this a few times. Keep encouraging him to come nearer with the toy. Click and treat when he comes to you with the toy. Step four. Repeat these steps so your dog brings you the toy each time without much prompting. Use the command bring it as you teach. Step five, put the toy on the ground and walk across the room. Say, take it and bring it. If your dog obeys, I just like this phrasing. If your dog obeys, click and give him a jackpot. Yes. All right, so now we're in serious advanced territory here. 
Trick 34, teaching your dog to bring you slippers. This is a, this trick is a combination of take it, bring it, and give. When you t- tell your dog to get your slippers, he will take them, bring them, and drop them right in your hand. What if you lost your slippers? Wouldn't this be a helpful trick? It would. I have trouble not getting my dog to sit, not to sit on me. So, um, just tell your dog, get my slippers, and off he'll go. In no time, it's like, I'm like, why, why are you sitting on me? I'm, this chair's only, okay, I'll move over a little bit. No, no, I'm moving over. You, you just don't sit on me, please. She's still sitting, you know. That's, she's just a dog. I guess I don't, believe me, I don't have the patience for this kind of, Click it stuff. Anyway, um, just tell your dog, get my slippers and off he'd go. In no time, he would come back with the pink slippers and drop them at your feet. Some dogs can bring both slippers at the same time. But if you're having difficulty getting your dog to bring both slippers, keep your slippers together with a piece of Velcro or string. You don't have to keep them together, however. Your dog will do just as fine getting them one at a time. This is especially useful if you forgot where you left them or if you have an incredibly smart dog that hides the slippers so it gets treats. That's my addition there. Step one, using the learn names trick, which we learned earlier, teach your dog the name of whatever object you want them to bring. Slippers, for example. Step two, now they knows what the name of the object is. Tell them to take my slippers, click and treat. Sounds like something you're like, hey, don't hit dogs with slippers, all right, people? Tell your dog to take it and bring it. If he does so, that was step three. Click and treat. Step four. Now try combining all these tricks. First say, get my slippers, then take it, then bring it, then drop it. If he does what he asks, click and give him a generous treat. Repeat this until you have a polished trick. Our experience. This was one of our favorite tricks to treat teach Caspian and one of his favorites too. He really does well at learning the names of things. He knows his toys. So we introduced the slippers in the same kind of way because he was excited about this trip trick. The slippers themselves were the reward. We realized, however, that he thought of slippers as a toy. Uh-oh. And we get preoccupied and play with them. Not, not if they're grandpa's slippers. Uh, teaching trouble. My dog can do each of the initial tricks, but is having trouble binding them together. What should I do? Repetition is the key to this trick, according to doggybuddy.com. As you practice it more, it will flow together better and you won't have to use each command to get him to do what you want him to do. Eventually, you'll have him learn the command, get my slippers, means to take your slippers, bring them, drop them into your hands or at your feet. Tip, when shaping this trick, have your dog take the top part or the toe of the slippers each time so they're not soggy when you put them on. Great stuff. So that's uh, doggybuddy.com. Thank you for putting up such wonderful articles on training dogs tricks. Arya, I think you're better off uh, with your little sword than having um, Namira. Was that her dog's name? Anyway, you, you know, you watch the episode. All right, next up, I'm not sure if this was what I indexed as next up, but we're going to talk about glamping because uh, King Robert and Ned were having quite a fancy camping experience there on the King's Road. And that made me think about glamping, which is glamorous camping. I don't know what star originally brought it to the thing, but I thought, hey, you know, well, let's fantasize. Imagine we're King Robert Baratheon, 
or like we're the Lord and Lady of of maybe not the Lord and Lady of this podcast because maybe not the Lord and Lady of this podcast because not only is the Creator an unpaid position but Lord and Lady is is uh, does does only comes with uh, it doesn't come with any uh, pay or jewels or gems or anything so maybe like the um, well, but then if you have a podcast that pays you to be the Lord and Lady, you could run the risk of uh, regicide, defenestration, like I talked about, land wars, that kind of stuff. So let's just imagine. So I found two nice little uh, lists of glamping destinations, one in the U.S., one in the U.K., balance stuff out. This one's from Time Magazine over at style.time.com. Ten unique glamping de- destinations. Resort at Paws Up, Montana. Uh, this is one of the most popular on Glamping Hub, uh, glamping site. It's like uh, Paws Up. Let's guess live like the fanciest cowboys on earth. It's Paws Up in Montana. White Pot, Switzerland. This looks like it's out of uh, that Dream movie. What was that called? I don't know, Insurrection. Wintertime glamping doesn't get more extraordinary than the White Pot Estate and the Slip Alps. Slip Alps. Swiss Alps. Fifteen dome-shaped tents provide views of the village of La Cienies, wood-burning stoves, private bathrooms. You can snowboard and ski. It's White Pot, Switzerland. How about Longitude 131 in Australia? Longitude 131 calls the Australian outback home, but it's miles away from roughing it. The resort's tench, tents, man, English isn't my first language, too. Each named after a different Australian pioneer include iPads. Well, pff. dude, I don't glamp. I have an iPad, so Bose speakers plus daily housekeeping. Uh, during the guests, that can take walking tours, camel rides, helicopter trips around Uluru, Kata, Juta, National Park, or just relax on the, they can finish the day, yeah, blah, blah, blah. That's Longitude 131, Australia. The Hobbit House in England. Uh, not all glamping are high-tech or minimalist. Why not live like Bilbo Baggins for the weekend in Cornwall, England? Eco-friendly vacation site, planet Earth. Live in a Hobbit House, except the, everyone knows that was filmed in New Zealand. Stroke. Mahale in Tanzania. High-end camping comes to an African safari. This is in western Tanzania. 1988 was established. It's got the amenities of glamping with the isolation and connection nature of safari. Greystoke. Tree Hotel in Sweden. Whoa, this looks cool. Tree Hotel. Miss the days of playing in a backyard treehouse. Consider Tree Hotel. Grown up retreat into childhood with a modern twist. Ultimately, plan 24 of these things. It's something like a UFO or something. It just looks cool. Holy crow. $662 a night. Okay, we won't be staying at the Tree Hotel. Clay Oquat Wilderness Resort in BC, Canada. Forget hiking. This glamping trip begins with a private plane ride. Holy shit. It's 12 fucking grand Canadian for, well, it's all-inclusive seven-night stay <laughs> per person. 
All right. Glamping is definitely for fancy only. I'm not kidding. I was surprised. I was sorry about that. The Eco Camp in Patagonia, Chile. There's a cabernet around a campfire, geodesic domes, and Torres del Paine National Park. You go on expeditions from four to nine days, hiking, cycling, safaris. It's a high-end trip, uh, four nights, something else. And this one's forty three hundred a trip, so that doesn't. I don't know if that's all inclusive though. The Roundhouse in England. So I guess this Time magazine covers everywhere. At uh, Bod Rifty Farms in Cornwall, another place in Cornwall, the Roundhouse puts a historic twist on a coastal camping trip. If you're enjoying days of fishing, surfing, sailing, and even dolphin watching, you don't associate Cornwall and dolphins, or at least I don't. So I apologize for that. Forget opening a can of campfire beans. Staying on site grants glampers the use. Glampers. Oh boy, if you're calling yourself a glamper, you just should, uh. <sighs> I guess you got the money to slap me in the face with ducats, so. Your village at Falling Waters Resort, North Carolina. This one's $84 a night, so this would be where I'd be glamping. Glamping doesn't have to break the blank. I've always wanted it's at the Falling Waters Resort in North Northern Carolina, Smoky Mountains. Someplace I've always wanted to visit. Guests sleep in circular yurts, queen size beds, coffee makers, refrigerators. There's zip lining, whitewater rafting, and mountain biking. It may not be five star dining, but it's perfect for budget minded nature lovers. So that's Times Glamping. Now over the UK. Over at allaboutyou.com, we got uh, Spring Hill Farms in East Sussex. It looks like a yurt. Yeah, it is a yurt. With It can sleep up to six. Got the Elephant Lodge in Kent. It's at the Port Limpany Wild Animal Park. You know, I might have to add this to the show notes because this has got one of these. Um, it says one of these wicked slow uh slideshows. I'm just gonna do this last one. Another one in Cornwall, the glamping capital of the world, seems like. C H Y M D R Shimder, Cornwall. With views across a wildflower meadow, the spacious tent is worlds away from conventional camping. An open plan living room boasts kitchen and dining areas and wood fired range and two double bedrooms. There's even a shower with separate WC. Yeah, baby. So that's a glamping. Uh, it looks like I'll be glamping the Smoky Mountains. But then if you're, of course, like hardcore glampers would be like, hey, if you're paying 84 a night, you're not a glamper. And I don't know how many of you are uh, of the age to remember the heyday of Public Enemy and Flavor Flav. There was a point where Flavor Flav was not on reality shows and not now post-reality show. He was, uh, you know, a member I think he lived in the Bronx. He's from the Bronx. I want to say he's from the Grand Concourse. Unfortunately, I think I remember something happening to him up there. But he had a, a song called Lampin', Lampin', Stone Cold Lampin'. And that just makes me think of glamping. I'm glamping, I'm glamping, I'm stone cold glamping. I took the G's upstate, cold glamping, <laughs> instead of cold camping. A retreat we call a hideaway, a pack up. Franks and a big bag of Frito-Lay. You know, you know, I should have planned it better. I could have made up a little rap to... 
But that's a great song, Glampin', Stone Cold Lampin'. Is that off a, I'm not sure if that's off a Takes a Nation a Million uh, or a Fear of a Black Planet, but Takes a Nation a Million sold us back. It's probably one of the best rap albums ever made. So, if, you know, you need to check that out too. And then you can think about, uh, or you can just uh, look on Spotify for Cold Lampin', Flavor Flav, and take the G's upstate cold camping. All right? Go glamping. <laughs> some point, Caitlin makes this new god, Dreamcatcher, for brand. So I just wanted to touch on Dreamcatchers. Dreamcatcher, according to Wikipedia, is uh, in some Native American cultures, a Dreamcatcher is a handmade object based on the willow hoop, which is woven loose net or web. The Dreamcatcher is then decorated with sacred items such as feathers or beads. Uh, dream catchers originated with the Ojibwe people. Ojibwe? Ojibwe? People and was later adopted by some neighboring nations through intermarriage and trade. It wasn't until the pan Indian movement of the 60s and 70s that they were adopted by Native Americans of a number of different nations. By Native Americans of a number of different nations. Some consider the dream catcher a symbol of unity among Indian nations and a general symbol of like identification with Native American or First Nation cultures. However, many other Native Americans have come to see dream catchers as over-commercialized, offensively misappropriated and misused by non-Natives. The Ojibwe people have an ancient legend about the origin of the dream catcher. Storytellers speak of the Spider Woman, known as... Asibikashi, known as Asibikashi. She took care of the children and the people of the land. Eventually, the Ojibwe nation spread to the corners of North America and it became different, difficult for Asibikashi to reach all the children, so the mothers and grandmothers would weave magical webs for the children using whittle hoops and snoo or cordage made from plants. The dream catchers would filter out all the bad dreams and only allow good thoughts to enter our mind. Once the sun rises, all bad dreams just disappear. American ethnographer Francis Densmore writes in her book, Chippeway Customs, 1929, republished in 79, page 113, even infants were provided with protective charms. Examples of these are the spider webs hung on the hoop of a cradle board. These articles consisted of wooden hoops three and a half inches diameter and filled with an imitation of a spider's web made from fine yarn, usually dyed red. In old times, this netting was made of nettle fiber. Two spider webs were usually hung on the hoop, and it was said that they caught any harm that might be in the air as a spider's web catches and holds whatever comes into contact with it. So I don't know if that's what Caitlin was doing, was... Working on a little dream catcher, it seemed like it, to protect Bran from bad dreams. But uh, she was working on some sort of religious charm, I'm sure, to protect her son and help him bring him back to consciousness. So that was my shop, Caitlin. Hello, everyone. This is Tommen. Uh, I don't know if you know who I am. You might, you might, might may be new to this podcast or the show. But my mom is Cersei, my brother is Joff, and my sister's Macella. 
my uncle is Jamie, my father, King, uh, <laughs> my father's King Robert, and my uncle is Tyrion. And I just came on the show because I, I was on before, and if you don't know, my best friend is named Sir Pounce. He's a cat, and he's my best friend. He's the loyalist cat in the world. And no one else in the kingdom knows what I know about Sir Pounce. Sir Pounce is a hero, and he has many, many adventures. And I, Tommen, have the honor of telling you the adventures of Sir Pounce, because he's my best friend. He tells me all his adventures, and I keep an eye on him. And when I uh, talked to the maker of this podcast, he was telling me about the some of the things we covered to, on the show. And I said, oh, that reminds me. That reminds me of a tale once told about the great Sir Pounce. And it was called The Tale of Sir Pounce versus the Snarks and the Grumpkins. Now, many of you don't know, but Sir Pounce was not always my loyal advisor and best friend. And... You know, there's the king's guard, but there's the Tommen guard, the one that guards my heart from the evils of the world, like best friends do when we share secrets. And Well, anyway, Sir Pounce has had many, many adventures during and before and after his time with Sir Tommen. Oh, I just added that in there because I like to say, say Sir Tommen and Sir Pounce. But So this, this is the tale of when Sir Pounce went to the evil kingdom of the Grumpkins and had to fight the Snarks. Now, Sir Pounce one day was out minding his own business, sniffing flowers, rolling in grass as Sir Pounce likes to do, when an, an evil monster, this hateful creature named Jofkins, chased him off into the forest, and Sir Pounce went through a magical portal, he thinks, into the forest of dark feelings, where feelings are scary and dark, and the cruel-hearted people rule. In the dark forest, it is said, is ruled by a witch named San, San Churchy, and she rules the forest with her evil witch laugh, that she laughs like she's happy, but it's scary, and it brings up the dark feelings that haunt the forest. But Sir Pouncey's not afraid. Oh, no. Churchy and Jofkins, they don't frighten Sir Pounce one bit. Not one bit at all. Sir Pounce has no fear of them. They cannot hurt Sir Pounce with their words or their eyes or their hands or their tricks. And even chasing Sir Pounce into this scary place did not scare Sir Pounce. Oh, no. But then Sir Pounce learned that in this forest lived a creature called the Grumpkin, and it rides on a beast called the Snark. And soon Sir Pounce found himself surrounded by these Grumpkins. They were not very large creatures, about the size of Sir Pounce. Sir Pounce is a cat, for those of you who aren't paying attention, so about the size of a good, strong, brave cat. And the creatures, the snarks they ride on, they're like a rabbit 
It was made into a lizard by a cruel witch named Churchia something. A lizard-like rabbit. Quite frightening, but also a little bit cute and just the right size for these uh, grumpkins to ride on. So Sir Pounce said, Wow. And the grumpkin said, Who are you? And what are you doing in our forest? And Sir Pounce said, I am Sir Pounce. Good day to you, sirs. What do you call yourselves? He said, We are the grumpkins. And this is our land, and you have invaded it, and you have to pay a punishment or a toll, or our snarks will bite off your feet, and we, the grumpkins, will eat you up for dinner. And Sir Pounce said, well, that would be quite a sight to see, for I am Sir Pounce, I am lean, I am strong, and I am brave, and you will not be eating my feet or eating my body at all, for I won't have it. Now, what say you grumpkins? Shall it be a battle of wits, or a battle of claws, or a battle of speed? Sir Pounce does not mind. The Grumpkins looked over Sir Pounce, for he was not afraid of them. And the snarks are quite scary, so they thought. And the Grumpkins aren't exactly pleasant-looking folk either. I've never seen them, except in my dreams. But they're not as scary as other things that are real. But anyway, Sir Pounce said, I think I have what ails you, Grumpkins, for I think about your name, Grumpkin, so you are the kin of the Grump, are you not? The Grumpkins looked at each other and they nodded silently, and they thought it was strange that Sir Pounce was speaking at all because he was a cat, and they had never seen a cat so brave as Sir Pounce, so fine as Sir Pounce, and they said, what of it? Ah, what of it? Why do you speak of the grumps? For we don't like the grumps. And though we are the grumps' kin, they throw, the grumps throw us out of our homes, and they told us never to return. Sir Pounce said, well, that's terrible. Well, you were thrown out of your home by your kin. Is that, I've always been curious, Sir Pounce. You know, I'm a very individualistic cat. I just have a friend named Tommen, the greatest Man, boy, child ever to live, the bravest and sharpest and handsomest man on earth, uh, in Westeros. But other than that, I've not needed any companionship. Is kin a cousin, or is it like a grandparent, or just a blood relative? I'm always confused. But I'm not confused that they would show, show you the door for you. Have no manners. And then the grumpkin said, Well, we've had enough of you, Sir Pounce, and soon the evil witch Churchy will be here, and she will teach you a thing or two about feeling uncomfortable with your feelings and sitting too close to you on your bedside and calling you a little pheasant boy. And Sir Pounce said, I'll have none of this talk. Now I can dance around like a bravos swordsman, and teach you some manners, and I can scare your snarks away forever, or I can teach you to go back to your kin, and you lick your paws, that's what it is, you're so dirty, you grumpkins. I could teach you to bathe yourselves. You just lick, lick, lick. Here, come here, snarks, come here, snarks, come to, come to Sir Pounce. And brave Sir Pounce, 
taught the snarks and the grumpkins how to clean themselves. And soon the grumpkins ventured back to the grind of the grumps, and they said, Oh, cousin grumpkins, we are so sorry we chased your way. You're so clean now. Could you teach us the ways you've taught? You've learned. And soon cleanliness went, spent, spread through grump land, and the snarks and the grumps and the grumpkins were all clean, clean, clean. And then the evil witch church, she said, Why is everything so clean in this forest? I am supposed to be the one of the center of attention and all that. And Sir Pounce scratched her on her bottom and she ran away forever. And that is the tale of Sir Pounce and the Grumpkins and the Snarks. And it is a tale of brave Sir Pounce against people that would go around and, and saying, What's wrong with you, Sir Pounce? Why can't you... Why, you, you cannot sleep with your mother anymore. Take that thumb out of your mouth. You'd think it was a teat. No one would speak to Sir Pounce like that. And they wouldn't say, you know, don't sleep with your sister. That's strange. You're a strange child. Oh, so strange. I mean, I'm glad you're not like your brother, but you're an ah. Uh, no one would ever speak to brave Sir Pounce that way again. And that is why Sir Pounce is the cat to uh, praise by all cats and knights alike. Thank you for this time. I'm Tommen, and I'm happy to report that Sir Pounce is licking his paws as we speak in my lap. And I'm going to give him a lovely saucer of milk, and I will take the milk right from you know, so, and watch him drink it the whole time. The milk will be under my supervision, for Joff has said he will put things in Sir Pounce's milk that would hurt him, because he is jealous. But that is for another tale, Sir Pounce and the Spoiled Milk. Good night. Thank you, Tom, and for that lovely uh, interlude with Sir Pounce. He actually had the uh, King's Guard uh, hold me hostage until... No, I'm just kidding, Tom. No. It was lovely hearing about Sir Pounce and his adventures. Thank you. The next thing that stuck out to me in this episode was like Caitlin got all like CSI. Like she searched the scene of the crime and she found a hair and she was talking about the uh, knife and she brought everybody together like the Meister and Sir Roderick, I think, and Rob. And she was, it felt like very Sherlock's Holmesian. Or uh, the dude, Agatha, one of the Agatha Christie dudes. And that was making me think of like CSI, CSI. And, and then there's like all these CSI shows and there's like Law and Order. And I was like, and so I looked up, I tried to, I just going to give you a little breakdown of like the interrelated, some of the shows. They're all pro called, these type of programs are called procedural programs. According to Wikipedia, procedural is a cross-genre type of literature, film, or television Involving a sequence of technical detail. The documentary film may be written in procedural style to heighten narrative interest. Television. A television procedural procedural specifically refers to a genre of programs in which a problem is introduced, investigated, and solved all within the same episode. These shows tend to be hour-long dramas and are often police or crime-related. The general formula for police procedural 
involves the commission or discovery of a crime at the beginning, the ensuing investigation, and the arrest or con- and conviction of the perpetrator. At the end of the episode, the best-known examples of this genre are Law and Order, Law and Order, CSI, and NCIS franchises. Housen is an example of a non-crime-related procedural. Procedural dramas are very popular generally in broadcast syndication because of the lack of long-term storylines makes it easy for viewers to tune in for one just one episode without feeling lost. Procedurals are sometimes criticized for the lack of character development, with little attention being paid to the lives of recurring characters outside of their jobs. So let's talk about some of these franchises. Let's start with Law & Order. They've been around the longest. Law & Order franchises a number of related American television series created by Dick Wolf on NBC. Uh, between all the things, there's like over a thousand hours of programming. Franchise Original franchise was Law & Order, 47 seasons. Oh no, this is for the whole franchise. A thousand episodes. From September 13th, 1990, the present. Long running series is Law and Order, 20 seasons, 456 episodes, ended its run May 24th, 2010. Second longest running series is Law and Order SVU. That's in 15 seasons, wow. 343 episodes, 1999 to present. Then there's Law and Order Criminal Intent, which ran from 2001 to 2011. Shortest running series, Law & Order Trial by Jury, one season, 2005-2006. Second shortest, Law & Order LA, one season, 2010 to 2011. Current season is SVU, Special Victims U- Unit. And that includes uh, Mariska Haggerty as uh, Olivia Benson, Danny Pino as Nick Amaro, Kelly Giddish is Amanda Rollins. I don't know. Some, I think Ice-T is on that one. So that's a law and order. Then we have NCIS, which for some reason I thought was CSI-related. I don't think it is, though. It's a media franchise of television programs created by Donald Belisario, broadcast on CBS, all which deal with military-related criminal investigations based on the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, the U.S. Department of the Navy, which also includes the Marine Corps. The original series, Jag, did not know this. I don't, maybe it did. Began in 95 and was canceled after freshman run, then ran nine further seasons on CBS. In 2003, a spinoff, NCIS, was introduced via a backdoor pilot, with NCIS in turn spinning off NCIS Los Angeles and NCIS in New Orleans. NCIS Los Angeles had a proposed spinoff but was later not picked up by CBS. NCIS was voted America's favorite television series in 2001. It's one of the most watched. So you got NCIS, which follows uh, Special Agent Leroy Jethro, Jethro Gibbs, who a special agents make up a major crisis response team in Washington. They got people from Baltimore PD, Secret Service, also. And then you have NCIS LA. Is that the one that... Uh, NCIS Los Angeles, and then you also have NCIS New Orleans. It looks like all of those are on the oh NCIS New Orleans might have just came out. So that's NCIS. And then we got the big dog. I mean, Law and Order. I actually watch. I, I've never I've watched a couple episodes of CSI, but CSI seems to be the big 
big guy as far as uh, procedurals go. It's an American franchise created by Anthony Zucker. Zucker? Zucker? Z-U-I-K-E-R. Broadcast on CBS. All deal with forensic scientists. As they unveil. I've watched Criminal Minds. Criminal Minds are criminal intent. I'm not sure. Criminal Minds, I think. Uh, the original series, CSI, Crime Scene Investigation, began in 2000. Got renewed for its 15th season in 2014. The first series in the franchise to end was CSI in Miami, which began in 2002. It was canceled after 10 seasons in 2012. CSI New York began in 2004 and was canceled in 2013. In uh, February 18th, 2014, CBS announced plans to spin off a, a new spinoff of the franchise called CSI Cyber. CSI franchise is available in 200 territories of two audience of 2 billion people. Various spinoffs have been developed to cater to the market, including novels, crime books, computer games. The franchise had a large cultural impact to spawn what is called the CSI effect, in which jur- juries also have often have an unreasonable expectation of real-life forensics because of what they have seen on CSI. Equally, the newfound popularity of forensics dramas on television have led to an increase in application for courses dealing with forensic science or archaeological science. The United Kingdom applications are up 30%. The franchise is so influential that fellow CBS show How I Met Your Mother advertised itself as not a CSI show in some way. The franchise must also fill, may also fill a cultural need. This is We started in 2000. It was a success, but our ratings really shot up after September 11th, Zucker, Zucker says in a documentary about the CSI phenomenon aired Christmas 2007. People were rushing to us for their comfort food. There was a sense of justice in CSI. It helped us know that there were people like our characters out there helping solve crimes. However, the CSI effect has a negative side. Criminals are also covering up evidence that could be used to... Using, I don't know about that. Criminals watching CSI for coverage. Crime labs. You got the CSI Las Vegas, the original. Supervisors are D.B. Russell and Julie Finley. Former supervisors, Gil Grissom, Jim Brash, Brass, Catherine Willows, Nick Stokes. So, so they got Las Vegas, Miami, and New York. Crossovers. Crossovers are possible between CSIs. So they had a CSI and a CSI in Miami in 2002 called Cross Jurisdictions. Then a Miami, New York City nonstop between Miami and New York, which was the series pilot. Oh, and the CSI Miami one was a series pilot. Then you had Felony Flight Manhattan Manhunt. That was a crossover in 2005 between Miami and New York. Then you had a CSI trilogy called Started in Miami, Went to New York, Bone Voyage, Hammerdown, and then ended in the original The Lost Girls. You had another one called Invino Veritas. Started CSI, ended in CSI New York. And then most recently, the backdoor pilot for Kitty that came out April 30th, 2014. And that was uh, CSI and CSI Cyber. We've also had uh, crossovers with Cold Case in CSI New York, with How to Trace in CSI, Two and a Half Men in CSI, CSI and Mythbusters. So, you know, Caitlin... Could, we could have some CS. She, she's getting all CSI Westeros there. And 
I don't know. I just went on and on about the CSI stuff. But interesting stuff that there's so many interrelated shows. I like mythology. I like extended mythology. I don't I've watched a couple. I'm pretty sure there's people, though, from CSI working on this other show. Whatever it's called. Cold. What is it called? I already forgot. Cold Mind Crimes. No. That would be a good. Maybe that's my procedural. Mind Crimes. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's move on. The last thing I want to cover is comas. Just because Brian seems like he's in a coma. There's a lot of stuff around comas. You know, there's like books about people visiting heaven. Or I think there's a book out called like 27 Minutes in Hell about visiting hell. I don't know if there's any controversy. I know there's been controversy about But I just wanted to read an article about it. Obviously, I was trying to bore you to sleep. And so I found this one from Live Science. From Live Science. And it's called... What happens to the brain in a coma? It's from November, November 26, 2012. It's written by Tia Ghosh, G-H-O-S-E, a live science staff writer. So I'm just going to re- read through this, paraphrase it, whatever. Quote it, what's going on in the heads of individuals in a coma has been a mystery. Now, a new study finds that coma patients have dramatically reorganized brain networks, finding they could shed light on the mystery of consciousness. Compared with healthy patients in the study, high traffic hubs of the brain activity are dark in coma patients while more quiet regions spring to life. Consciousness may depend on the anatomical location of these hubs in the human brain networks that study co-author Sophie Achard, a statistician at the French National Center for Scientific Research. Findings had several important implications, say Indiana Indiana University neuroscientist Olaf Sporns, who was not involved in the study. It gives us a handle on what may be different between healthy, conscious people and the people who have launch of co- loss of consciousness, Sporns told Life Science. The traffic patterns have totally reorganized, and maybe it's the rerouting of the traffic patterns that underlies the loss of consciousness or the mysterious ability to be self-aware that seems to set humans apart from other animals. In the future, the research could help doctors determine which coma patients are likely to recover, based on activity in high-traffic brain regions, he said. Or if dire wolves are howling and their face twitches, that's another thing. The research could potentially even suggest ways to stimulate the brains of patients in a coma to improve their outcome, he added. Oh, that's like howling. The study was Published November 26th in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. Science Mystery of Consciousness. There's Papa Bads on here. Science still don't, scientists still don't understand exactly how human consciousness works, but the twilight stage of a coma could reveal some insight. Past research revealed that a person in a coma is closer to being anesthetized than being asleep. Other studies have found that vegetative and minimally conscious Patients have very different brain activity, but for the most part, it's hard to find obviously differences, obvious obvious differences in brain functioning between healthy patients and those who have lost consciousness. To tease out these differences, Archer and her colleagues took functional magnetic MRI, fMRI brain scans of 17 patients who were in a coma a few days after cardiac arrest and compared them 
with scans from 20 healthy volunteers who were at rest. Some patients who had lost oxygen in the brain for 30, 40 minutes eventually recovered, but more than half did not. The team tracked 417 brain regions for changes in blood flow, a marker of brain activity. They correlated synchronized increases or decreases in activity between different regions. In healthy patients, about 40 regions lit up in concert with many other parts of the brain. These high-traffic hubs, like busy airports, apparently process most of the electrical firing in the brain. But in coma patients, many of these hubs were darkened and other normally peripheral regions took their place. Intriguingly, coma patients had, had fewer hubs in the region called the precuneus, which is known to play a role in consciousness and memory. These central nodes of brain activity may hold the key to consciousness, Archer told Life Science, Live Science. Because they direct so much of the brain's traffic, they also require more oxygen and thus may be more vulnerable to its loss, the study authors write in the journal article. So, that whatever that said... Uh, maybe that's what's going on with Bran, but we know at the end of the episode, Bran wakes up due to, uh, the death of a wolf, dire wolf. So maybe his brain is networked with the wolves in some way that, uh, did some stuff to it. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's it on comas. I'll post, uh, one more, a link to the Wikipedia stuff on comas too, just so you have a little more balance in the show notes. Let's uh, say my prayers. Uh, hey, God, uh, crone, loving, sweet, holy crone, miller, grinding away, smith, hammering away, jester, joking, joking it up, up there, away, hambarky, uh, growing like a tree. Uh, those guys, I hate to get off track right away, but Barky, I don't know if you guys got any movies up there, and, um, I guess I don't even know. See, I wasn't raised with the old gods or the new, so I don't know where you hang, or is it just out in that spot up north, in that tree infested, but anyway, Barky, I saw this movie I thought you'd like, I saw it last night, it's called Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, great summer movie, very, uh, very entertaining, very, uh, it's summer movie, action-packed. It's got funny stuff. It's got jokes. It's got action. It's got, you know, stuff. But that's besides the point, Barky. I have a, and the other guys, so the other guys, that was more for you. But Barky, there's this character called Groot. And Groot, from what I can ascertain, is a humanoid tree combo of some sort and I think Barky I think you'd really like this Groot I think you'd get a hoot out of Groot a hoot out of Groot so if you get if you get yeah Barky let me know let's talk do you have a DVD player do you have eyes and ears or do you do everything by psychics psychic stuff um maybe I, I think you'll like Groot there's a chance you would not like Groot and then you'd Get mad, but remember, it's just a work of fiction, Barky. So uh, I'm pretty sure. I don't know where you tree gods stand and all that stuff. You hang with children, though, so you've got to be lighthearted, right? And you let them carve your faces up. So, Barky, I'm just saying, Guardians of the Galaxy, check it out. Great movie. Oh, other guys, I'm sure you'll like it too. 
groan, maybe have a little bit too much noise for you, and swearing, and laughter, and action. And it's it's not a period. Well, it is a period piece just in the future. And I know how you old, older older folks like your period pieces. So maybe you, but Crone, you might check it out. You know, you never know what you're going to like. Uh, Miller Smith, yeah, you guys will be loving it, probably. So that's a little pro tip for you guys is uh, movies. I think we had talked about this before, but yeah, Crone, you know, Crone, I have not watched Dalton Abbey at all, and I'm pretty sure, um, because I know nothing about it, that you'd like it, so maybe we could watch that together as my way of, uh, um, but anyway, God, so I guess again, once again, I mean, I wasn't purposely delaying time, honestly, Barky, I thought you'd like Groot. And it just made me thank you, Barky, in a non-god, uh, like, I mean, not that it took away any of your godship. It's just like, uh, you know, people say that it's like a form of uh, formality or polite. And But I'm um, being truthful. I thought it's like, hey, you know who like this? Barky, the tree god, god of the trees, the old god that, uh, you know, used to just be called the old god. Uh, so that's what, so that's one thing, you know, obviously clearly I'm much better from my, um, fever that I got when they, when the fake hound made me eat the, uh, remains of, uh, you know, it ground up all the, those, those bodies and made me eat them into a porridge and they had that fever stuff. And I think that old hound was, and Cat Stevens were keeping me captive. We covered all that, right? So, and then I re, re um, a couple things from last week, my paper cut on my, um, uh, private part was, has healed the grass cut jester. It did not get infected. So, uh, a nice try probably you would have had another laugh. It was infected and green and stuff, but it didn't. So I'm on, I'm on the mend maiden, you know, just no, you know, I'm up to a hundred percent, well, 98% down there. Uh, so if you need to get a hold of me, uh, you, know, you just, just take some human form, preferably foxy female form, and come, you know, come say hi. And uh, I did not recover our the maiden love machine, but that was just a practice one. Like I said, uh, someday I'll have them. But this is a prayer to you, maiden, because I don't need to pray to you because I'm not even clear on my feelings about you. I was just saying what's up. Um, other gods, you know, gods that need respect. And, uh, sorry, I'm still thinking about the maiden. Maiden, oof, you got me, uh, I guess you do got me twisted a little bit. Cause I'm just like all warm. Think about you coming down here now. Uh, so it'd be nice if you did. Uh, anyhow, moving on. So gods, I've been thinking with a whole... Uh, season four twist where the fake hound totally blew up my plants. And now we're kind of season one. Um, I'll be honest, you know, it's a fresh start type situation. And I try, you know, as your humble servant, I try to put myself second and you guys first. And I try to say to myself always, of course, when I'm not, you know, thinking about the maiden, 
Um, or I'm thinking about how to glorify you guys and stuff. And I try to put myself in your shoes like if I was a god. And then I'll start imagining a lot of stuff that I would be doing, but fun stuff. But then I try to say, what would I want out of this guy down here on Earth that's so great to pick us of the gods and try to glorify our names and, you know, justify, you know, speak up for us. And I know you gods are big on, like, challenges and um, quests. And I know you got some other thesaurus, like, vocabulary rhyming stuff other than quests. Like, um, you know, but Jason and then Golden Fleece, I think, was one of them, I remember. from That's from Earth, not in Westeros, but now. So I was thinking I need to do some quests to glorify, to prove myself to, basically, you know, to earn your, uh, plus maiden, you could check me out. Uh, I'm not quite as buff as I'd like to be, you know, especially if I'm up against these, you know, I'm only human though. But I'm getting there, maiden, you know, I'm lean, I'm lean and mean. So I'm going to be doing some of those quests, maiden, if you want to check me out, I might take my shirt off if I'm, if it's warm. And, you know, you could come down and, um, but anyway, I'm not here to glorify you, Maiden. I'm just, uh, must be in a distracted mood today. So, guys, I was thinking I should do some quests for you to uh, further glorify you and show my subservient type side that I'm not out for this stuff. You know, those you, the, the fake hound did have my boots. And I'm going on the assumption that we are the same boot size and you left those boots for me and you stole them. So that was going my vengeance pile when I'm, you know, another thing for me to wreak vengeance. But right now I need to prove myself. So I was thinking with the new season or the old season, season one, it's time for me to, you know, start out and prove myself. So I, I figure I'll do a quest for each one of you. So you got Crone, Miller, Smith. Barky, Jester, and Barky, don't worry, I'm not going to count finding Groot as a quest. It's more of just a friendship, friendship quest, you know, not as a glorification of you as a God quest. And that was like, so, but, you know, this whole discernment thing's really hard. I was talking about last week, I've been on this discernment kick. And that's all I came up with because I was, because then I was like, all right, I need some quests. But it's not like the movies where it's like all clear and I get some tablets or some scrolls or you come in a dream and you say, hey, how about you uh, go get these goats? I mean, that was the first quest I came up with and that didn't work out so hot. So I was thinking, Miller, I'd start out with you because uh, you just don't get, I mean, according to... Uh, According to the Septon, Septon of the Year and all those clowns, you're not even a god. But you and I both know what they know is nothing, zero. So, Miller, um, I'm not taking sides. I'm not making choices. All the gods, I'll be giving you glory while I give the Miller the glory. So Miller, I was trying to figure out what to do, and I was out in the woods, and I was like, you know, like I said, working my discernment for you gods. And lo and behold, I'm at this old dried-up creek bed, and I come across this old mill, and outside is this guy. Crone, this might be a double duty, you know, 
Uh, you might be my bequest just because this old man's sitting there. He got barely any teeth. He looked a little sun, sun dazed, sun crazed. And I said, he said, hey, what you doing in my crick? And I said, I said, you know, this, it's good to good walk in here because uh, it's dried up. And I've got to be in the brambles. I'm down. I've got a couple of people looking for me. You don't say, he says. I say, I do say. I say, yeah, I got a fake hound looking for me. And a former singer who changed his name around. He used to be called Cat Stevens. You probably never heard of him. And a philosopher named, you know, goes by the name of Aristotle. They're all allowed to get me. But that's not important, sir. I'm just here, you know, pleasantries to your, you and your beautiful mill. I'm a big fan of mills. I see you got this big old wheel here. And it's uh, not moving because you got a dried up creek. And he goes, oh, yeah, my creek's all dried up. And I say to him, I say, oh, what's up? He says, oh, it's all. I say, you, you like the local miller? He said, I used to be, but the creek dried up, dumbass. I said it three times already. My creek's dried up. I said, okay, don't worry about it. I was like, by the way, I have all my teeth, so why don't you shut up? And we went back and forth, but it was kind of like a banter. And at some point, we realized we were laughing at each other. And I said, uh, this is kind of garbage, man. Like, uh, this, how long ago this uh, creek used to have water in it? And he said, back when I had all my teeth, this creek was moving. I'd be grinding up grains and stuff for this town and, and uh, you know, praising the miller for the harvest and all that stuff. But he goes, now, he goes, you know, I said, by the way, how old are you? He said, he said he's 42. The guy looked like he was about 70. And they said, geez, you guys got meth here in Westeros? What the heck are you doing? He said, I don't know what that is. And um, not important. So Miller, I said, so I, was, I got into it. I said, well, what's, what happened to your crick? He goes, oh, it's up there. He goes, some uh, some logger type uh, group has uh, blocked, off, blocked off the crick to, you know, they're logging. So that's, that's my quest, uh, some evil logger type situation up there. I'm just chilling at this guy's mill right now. Miller, you love it here. I'm sure you've been here. You can see it. I got my own private room, totally private, uh, with a mattress. So if anybody, other gods are listening in, like female gods, not, not you, Crone, no, no offense, but, uh, yeah, just saying I have private facilities. I'm probably, you know, I'm not sleeping so hot just because I'm worried about Cat Stevens getting the jump on me, but this guy, he doesn't look like he sleeps. I'm pretty sure he's doing meth, even though he doesn't know what it is, because he's just, he looks awful. But I figure if I could get the water going for him, Miller, he could start milling stuff. Maybe this is some sort of meth lab, Westerosi meth lab, and he's playing me. I don't know, can you use a water wheel? Or maybe he's doing some sort of opiate-type situation. But anyway, Miller, that's what I'm, my quest is. Quest one, glorify all God's names. But in this case, the Miller, prove my worthiness to you. I'm going to go up there, deal with these. I haven't been up there yet, so I don't know what I'm dealing with. So, But, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I've got my, I'm a trickster. Uh, so I, I mean, I haven't been a trickster yet. I've been tricked more. I'm a trick, tricker, tricky. But I think I got some trickster in me, 
and I'm, I'm not tough, but uh, I have a bad attitude, so, uh, so, so I figure that stuff, plus, you know, I'm the one down here, Miller's, you know, rolling for you. So that'll be it. I'll just be here in my room alone in case anybody wants to join me. Um, or, and, or, you know, never, if, if some, Khaleesi, I don't know if you're listening in, but, you know, you could tell, uh, Melisandre or whatever to stop on by, uh, if whatever would happen with her and Grey Worm's in the future now. So she, you haven't even met her. So that's not going to work. So yeah, Maiden. Uh, but man, Maiden, I don't know. There's some villagers, so I might be busy when you come by. Uh, but I wasn't even talking to you. So that's it, guys. I'm going to be up. I'm going to mess with these loggers, and that'll be first glorification. I'll let them know, unless you want me to keep it on the down low, that I'm, you know, you're first in all, first in my name, totally. So that's it, crone, sweet crone, lovely crone, Miller grinding away like i said smith smith you guys are hard workers you need more respect barky you just you know you just kick back think about this group guy if you if you know this is a really well done movie barky so don't be downloading it plus probably not a good copy out there uh since you're gods you probably should get a screening anyway if not it'll probably be on dvd in like a month or two and i'll hook you up uh Still number one at the box office, so that's a good sign, Barky, that you're still respected. Jester, clearly, uh, you're getting a kick out of this, and you know, because I'm not, you know, I've got my foibles, so I'm aware. All right, guys, that's me checking out and uh, all praising all your names and total supplication. All right, good night to everyone else, and I will uh, thank you, guys, for. Uh, I'm sure that I'm thanking for except for everything, uh, you know, getting captured and eating, having to eat a giant and that stuff. Thanks, mate.